Good morning. Hasn't it been a great morning just to be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We have sang songs today that have just uh, encouraged us, that have blessed us. In fact, that, what was that first song, Victory in Jesus? I tell you, if that, if that didn't move you, I don't know what will. That was just a great reminder of what God has done through Christ to give us new life. In fact, this morning, we're going to be thinking about this all day, beginning again, to connect the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something that happened many, many years ago, to the right now, the here and now. How does it affect me where I am living today? How can it give me hope for the day that I am living in as well as the future that is in store? This morning, we're going to be looking at some passages of Scripture from God's Word that connect His resurrection, His victory over the grave in such a way to give us hope for this life and the life to come. I invite you, if you haven't already, to begin again to come and experience a new life that comes because Jesus defeated the grave. We're going to begin this morning by taking a look at a, at a picture that I'm going to reference a couple times, a picture that uh, was displayed for many years at a museum in Paris, the, the, the Louvre Art Museum. And uh, if you look at this painting, it's uh, from 1831. And if you look closely, you might be able to tell there's, there's obviously two people playing the game, but the guy on the left is supposed to embody Satan. And he's got this mischievous grin on his face. He's got this attitude like, I've got more pieces than you've got. Uh, I've taken more of yours than you've taken of mine. And you can see the guy on the, on the other side of the, of the board is looking distressed. What has he got left? And the, the name of the painting is Checkmate. And so it's designed to, to help someone look at it and realize game is over and Satan is won. And how many people through the years must have walked through that art museum and looked up at that painting and said, yeah, that's me. I'm out of moves. It's all there is. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at checkmate. But the, the, there's a legend that goes with this painting that there was a, a chess master that came through one time and was intrigued by this portrait. And he started studying each of the pieces that were left and figuring out what was there. And even though it was titled Checkmate, after a couple of hours, he had this outburst where he said, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not Checkmate. The guy has a move left. And it's interesting this morning as we think about that picture, we might come and say, you know, that reminds us of Good Friday. That reminds us of Jesus being nailed to the cross. Maybe at that point the adversary thought it was all over. Jesus crucified. Jesus buried in the tomb. Surely he would have said, checkmate. But folks, three days later, Jesus said, I've got one more move left. I've got one more move. No, it's, this game is not over. In fact, I am about to demonstrate the ultimate victory by rising from the grave. So this morning, as we look at that picture, we might see Easter. We might see a, a reference there of, of Christ being victorious over the grave. But I also know that some of us may walk in today and we look up at that picture and we say, I relate to it. My life right now is a struggle. My life is a mess. I don't know how it's going to go from here. 
In fact, some might say, you know, I'm so discouraged right now, I feel like I am living in checkmate. Well, I want to tell you this morning, you're in the right place. You're in the right place because this is Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, we are reminded that it is not over, that there is still an opportunity, and it's all dependent upon what Christ is able to give to us and allowing us, because he has defeated sin, because he has defeated the grave, that we can say to one another that it's not over, that we can begin again. In fact, I want us to see this morning that knowing Jesus is the only way to begin again. And for some of us, that's a reminder. For some of us, that's something that we've, we've heard before and, and we hold to and cling to. For some of us, it may be something that's pretty new. And you're wondering, well, how does that happen? How can I experience this new beginning? That's what we're going to take the next few minutes to think about. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 28 and, and read a little bit of uh, an account that speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you would like to read along uh, with me, you can. But uh, we're going to look at a couple of other passages along the way. And we're going to see that the Bible is filled with examples of people who thought they were in checkmate, who thought their life was over, who thought their decisions were, were over, thinking that, that their past was certainly going to have to define their future. And yet we see over and over again that there is a new life, a new beginning that is offered in Christ. Some of those individuals were present on the very morning that Jesus rose from the grave. We're going to be reading from Matthew 28, and there's a reference to some women, women who had known Jesus personally for a couple of years, whose lives had been radically changed. They were there the day he was nailed to the cross, and unlike the disciples, they were also there that resurrection morning. They were the first ones there, I should say, to be able to witness what was happening. So I invite your attention, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, speaking of the tomb of Jesus. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. Notice what it says, with fear and great joy. That makes sense, doesn't it? And ran to tell his disciples. That was Resurrection Sunday. That was the first morning where these followers of Christ were able to begin to understand what was happening. And they were commissioned. They were told, you go. Angels tell, tell, told these ladies, you go and tell the disciples what has happened. He is not here. He is risen. 
Now, we might look at those names and think, well, those are people that probably walked with God their whole lives. There they are, even faithful to the, to the very day in which Jesus rose again. And I want to tell you, they had a, a, a history. They had a story. They had struggles just like you and I. But their story, their life story was rewritten. In fact, one of the names we just read was a lady named Mary Magdalene. And if you think about Mary Magdalene, she is mentioned in, uh, in, uh, in, in an earlier part of, of Luke's gospel. In fact, in chapter 8, there is a description of Jesus going through towns and villages, and he's going place to place, and he's preaching good news. And it says that even the 12, the 12 disciples were with him. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom, look what it says there, seven demons had gone out. Now, you wonder why I'm mentioning this. Do you think that Mary Magdalene ever was in a point in life where she thought she was in checkmate? Can you imagine how it must have felt to be under such oppression, to have a stronghold of darkness over your life, and yet clearly it was broken? She was able to begin again. Why? Because she met Jesus. She knew Jesus, and he changed her story. He rewrote what would take place. Her past did not have to define her future. Why? Because she had been restored. In fact, she was given this opportunity to have a new life. And I want us to all know today that it begins by knowing Jesus. He is the only way to truly begin again. Now that theme, begin again, is something we're going to look at today as well as the next two weeks. And so I invite you to come back. Come back next week. We're going to look at the, the idea of, of, of doubt, of worrying. There are times that anyone would, uh, would, would be able to look back and say, I, I have really a, a, a strong doubt that, that, I'm, that I'm okay with the Lord. I have this fear that maybe, maybe I really am not prepared for, for what's next when this life is over. Maybe some of you can relate. You can say, I, I've been there. Well, we're going to look next week at what, at what it looks like to have assurance of faith and how the Bible tells us that we can know for certain. Then the next week, we're going to look at another picture, a picture of, of beginning again as demonstrated through baptism. Some people say, well, what, what does baptism mean? What's this idea of, of someone going beneath the water and coming back up? Well, it's a picture of new life. And so two weeks from today, we're going to be looking at that. And if those are topics that are of interest to you, I invite you to come back and look at them with us from the Word of God. But when you hear the words, begin again, I know that they, they may or may not be words that immediately uh, connect uh, with you. That may, you may hear the words, begin again, and think, well, I think when I was a kid, I was told at times to begin again, and that usually wasn't good news. That was, that was usually, I've, I've goofed something up, and they're saying, okay, start over, try again, get it right this time. And so they, the words might sound like a, a curse. They might sound like a blessing, depending on the filter in which you hear them. In fact, I can remember back this uh, idea of beginning again uh, to when I was in high school, uh, got to my 16th birthday, and you can probably imagine what I'd been looking forward to. Taking the test so that I could finally get my driver's license, right? I'd had the, the permit long enough. I was ready. 
ready to, to, to have the license. So I, of course, told my friends about it, went to, to get the, uh, the test, sat down with the, the, uh, the instructor. He was in the, in the uh, front passenger seat, obviously. He said, okay. He said, go ahead and just, just begin. Go down this street, and I'll tell you where to go from here. And so I was, I was pumped up. I was, I was confident. I knew we, I could do this and uh, got started. He said, okay, make a left turn. So I made a left turn, and I was going down this narrow street in downtown Mount Sterling, Kentucky, and he asked me a question immediately. He said, why are you driving up the middle of the street? Uh-oh, that is not what I wanted to hear, right? So, well, I, I don't see any lines, so I thought that this was a, a one-way street. He said, well, you thought wrong. This isn't a one-way street, and you're driving right up the middle of the road, son. Why don't you go ahead and turn around, and maybe you can come back next week and try this again. Oh, great. So I turned around, got back in front of the, the building there. My mom was waiting. She looked up like she was so surprised. It must have been like the shortest, shortest driving test ever, right? And so I, I, I tried to think, well, maybe I can tell her I did so well that he just decided to go ahead and just give me the license right then. And but no, she'll figure that part out. So, uh, so I went and told her what happened. And then it dawned on me, I was going to have to go back to school, right? See my friends again. I was trying to think, is there any way I can avoid going back to school for at least a week until I can get back and, and try this test again, right? So, so maybe in your background, you think of the idea of beginning again, and it seems like, like something of a, of a reminder of, of, a, of, a, of a mistake or that you didn't do it right. Well, I want to offer you another way of thinking about this. Think about beginning again as a fresh start. Think about it as a brand new opportunity to, to, to meet God where you're at, regardless of what has happened before or decisions or choices or experiences, but to say right here, right now, Jesus comes and says, I offer to you a fresh start, a new life. Why can we do this? Because throughout the Bible, God describes himself as the God of a second chance. And I want to ask you this morning, aren't you glad that that is his approach? That he, as a loving Heavenly Father, is willing to give us another chance, another opportunity. With God, failure, listen to me, failure does not have to be final. It doesn't have to mean checkmate. It doesn't mean it's too late. What it means is, here is an opportunity for God to come and remake that life which has been broken. And there are so many examples. You can read through Scripture and find example after example of people that, that, that were going the wrong direction. And God came in their midst and he, he changed the course of their lives. Think of Jonah. You've probably heard of Jonah. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go speak my word to the Ninevites. So Jonah did what? He went to a boat and went the opposite direction, right? And we know of in a very unique way, God brought him back, but he was given a second chance. Maybe you think of King David. This is a man that, that uh, the Bible says was a man after the Lord's own heart. But what did he do? He fell, in, he fell into a, a serious moral failure with another woman that wasn't his wife. It was a terrible, terrible incident. And yet, what happened out of that? You can read Psalm 51. God forgave and God restored and allowed David to begin again. Or maybe you think about Peter, one of the disciples. 
He was uh, one that, that may have come to your mind this last week as we were thinking about the, the last week of Jesus and, and uh, uh, Jesus going before uh, the, 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 this trial, before he would be put on the cross, and how Peter, on three different occasions, was asked by people, do you know this man Jesus? I thought I saw you with him. And what did Peter do? Each of those times, he denied knowing Christ. But what happened? After the resurrection, Jesus came and he restored Peter. What are these examples of? They're examples of people getting the opportunity to begin again. Why is it possible? Because that is God's nature. God established it this way, that he would be the God of a second chance. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. We know that one of the great themes of the Bible, a, a meta-narrative, is to begin again. Because we have example after example of people who stumble or people who stray, people who, who don't fully follow him and yet are given this opportunity to come back, to come to him. And so this morning on Resurrection Sunday, I want to invite you back to that place, back to that place where you can have a hope for this life and the life to come. That's what the resurrection tells us. It tells us that Jesus won. He beat the greatest, most difficult enemy that each of us someday will face, and that's the enemy of death. Well, there was only one man that by his power was able to rise from the grave, to defeat that enemy once and for all, and to tell all of us that we too can have life in him. He lived our life. He lived on our behalf. In fact, on Wednesday, we got together and we received the Lord's Supper. And we were thinking about his suffering. We were thinking about him being crucified. And we asked the question, do any of us come saying that, that Jesus deserved that? said, no. We look at the crucifixion and realize that he took what we deserved. He was in our place. And so his death was applied to us, but it goes beyond that. His life, his resurrection also gets applied to us. To those who trust in him, they have the same certainty that they can live in eternity with him. The key is being in Christ. Here's another verse I'd like to give you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what does it say in the next verse? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So if someone wants to begin again, they must be a new creature, a new creation, and that happens in Christ. There's only two ways, only two ways to live this life, either in Christ or apart from Christ. And so oftentimes people, they live their lives rejecting Christ. Maybe they don't say it verbally, but because they haven't accepted the free gift of salvation. They haven't experienced a transformed, brand new life. And so that's the invitation today to come and be in Christ. The old life gone, a new life beginning. It's him taking those broken pieces, taking that, that, that story that, that is just filled with heartache and struggle, and God taking it as only God can, 
And with his love and with his grace and with his power, he builds and remakes a life that is brand new. I hope today that rather than hearing those words, checkmate or game over or death is certain, I hope that you can hear the words of Christ saying, not yet. This is not over yet. I have defeated the grave and I offer to you a brand new life. A life that, that is not just for the, the, uh, for the eternity when we go from this life to the other. It's for right now. In fact, John 10 says it's an abundant life, a, a filled life that, that so many people are longing for. And they fill so many things within their lives trying to find meaning or significance. They search and they search, and yet it's right here, the abundant life in Christ. Let me tell you about a young boy that experienced this. Actually, he didn't experience it until he was later, uh, older uh, in, uh, into his young adulthood, but he grew up uh, as, a, as a young boy whose mom was a follower of Christ. In fact, uh, he was born into this home, and she would read the Bible to him. She would sing to him. And so at a very young age, he was hearing the Word of God. But tragically, she died when he was only six. And so his dad tried to, to raise him. Other relatives tried to raise him. He went from place to place, and his life was hard. In fact, they sent him, when he got uh, into his teenage years, to a boarding school, and he tried that for a while. And finally, he was struggling so much that, that he left. And he lived in England. It was the 1700s at the time, and they had, they had this navy that he could join. So he, he joined the Royal Navy, and, and his eyes were opened up to a whole lot of things there. He was getting into trouble. He began drinking alcohol heavily. Finally, he just abandoned the Navy and took some of those skills that he had learned and started working for a Portuguese slave trader. And it was here that his life really hit bottom. Uh, he was, he was uh, becoming a drunkard. He, he was having trouble uh, having enough to eat. It says that in the account I was reading that at times he would, even, he would even eat off of the floor there at the ship. He went to work for another slave trader. He got a promotion. He was, uh, he, he was having a, a little, little better life, or so he thought. He came across uh, some, uh, some whiskey one day there on the ship. And as they were out, he started drinking it and drinking it. Drank so much he got drunk and he fell overboard. And the people on the ship, his, uh, his, his fellow crewmates, again, this is a slave ship, right? And they saw him out there in the water, and they, they, they took a harpoon, and they shot him so that they could pull him back in, if you can imagine, into the boat. And forever uh, on his life, he would have a scar there on his side because of the way he had been rescued at sea. Well, it wasn't long after that that while on the ship, there was a storm that came. And he was uh, fearful for his life. He was fearful of death. And somehow, these verses that he had heard as a child were coming back to his mind. And somehow, he was remembering about Jesus. And he was remembering about forgiveness and new life. And he came to know Jesus that night on the boat. And his life would never be the same. In fact, he gave up the, the ways of, of working in the slave industry. He went back to England, working against that, becoming a pastor even writing hymns. And he's the one who penned these words that I know you've heard. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. 
You see, this young man, John Newton, he experienced the living Lord. He experienced the life that could only come through Jesus, and his story was totally changed. In fact, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans 5. He talked about when sin abounds, grace, or when sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And John Newton could could testify to that. Mary Magdalene could testify to that. But you know what? There are people all over this room that could also raise their hand and say, yes, count me in too. I am among the redeemed. If you could hear my story and know the direction I was going, and yet I was rescued. God, in his grace and in his mercy, gave me a brand new life. What a joy for us to know that it's not too late. It's all about the grace that he offers. What is grace? Grace is is basically being accepted by God even when we don't deserve it, even when we haven't earned it. And there are people throughout our, our world that think that to be accepted by God must mean that they have to do something, that they have to do it on their own, that they have to do maybe even things affiliated with the church or with religion. And I want to tell you, it's not that way. That's good works. Jesus says it's grace. It's coming based upon what he has done and allowing his good work to be applied to your life. So today may be the day where you can begin again. This is the whole reason that Jesus came. In fact, in John chapter 1, at the very beginning uh, of of Christ's earthly ministry, it was described that his coming was because of grace. Listen to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. John wanted to use that word more than once because... I think we need to be reminded of his grace more than once. Grace upon grace upon grace. You know what? It puts the image in my mind of being at the beach and seeing a wave come crashing onto the sand. And then right after that, another wave and another wave and another wave. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news to know that it it wasn't something that just had to happen one time and, 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 and that's it? But that throughout our lives, we have the opportunity to continually experience the grace of Jesus Christ. I invite you, friends, if that's something that is that is a new concept to you, to come and receive his grace. It was also described there in that same chapter, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came bringing grace, but he also came bringing the truth. That's why we have both Friday and Sunday. That's why we have Jesus on the cross on Friday. He had to die. The truth is that sin has penalty, and it had to be taken care of. The truth is that Jesus willingly died in our place. But we see the grace coming alive on Sunday, seeing that 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 payment was was received and that we have an opportunity to, to have a new life in Christ. 
So it's both the grace and the truth. In fact, author Randy Alcorn said it this way. He said, grace isn't about God lowering his standards. It's about God fulfilling those standards through the substitutionary suffering of the standard setter, that Jesus would be our substitute. Christ went to the cross because he would not ignore the truth of his holiness and our sin. Grace never ignores or violates truth. Grace gave what truth demanded, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He goes on to say, if we minimize grace, the world sees no hope for salvation. If we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. To show the world Jesus, we must offer unabridged grace and truth, emphasizing both and apologizing for neither. So on this Resurrection Sunday, we come and we recognize that Jesus, he embodies the truth and the grace. Maybe you can think of it this way. Truth tells us that we need to begin again, but grace tells us we can begin again. This whole message, I've, I've endeavored to do one thing, and that is to speak to you where you are at, to speak into your story, and to give you hope, to give you an understanding that it's not checkmate, that it's not over, that as you have, as you have life in your, your lungs today, that you have an opportunity to turn to Christ, maybe for the first time, and experience the life that he offers. That's what it's all about. In fact, Galatians chapter 2, one last verse, and then we'll close. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I, my old life has been buried. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Folks, that's where it's at. It's this this change that takes place when someone begins living with Christ inside them that makes all the difference. And do you see how Christ is described here in this verse? He is described as the one who loves you and gave himself for you. That's the gospel message for us today. To understand what he has done so that we, while we have opportunity, can respond. You see, folks, it's one thing to hear about it. It's one thing to, to have it described by someone else, but it's a totally different thing for that truth to be personal, for that truth to be yours, and for that life to be made new within you. So as we close our time this morning, I want to invite you to experience this new life. Maybe you're here today and you, you have questions about it. And as, as, as Pastor Brad mentioned, we're going to have some people in the foyer. He's going to be there. He has a DVD he's going to give away. There's information available. We would love to talk with you about what it means to have Jesus as your Savior. Maybe this morning we could close by just taking time to personally pray before the Lord. We've sang songs. We've read Scripture together. But have we taken some time each of us, to speak to God.
Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a word of thanksgiving. Maybe it's, it's a time for you just to, to pause and remember the gift that you've been given. For some of you, it might be, Lord, it's been a while. I can remember back when I used to know you and walk with you. I can remember those days, but I've, I've gone afar. Maybe this is the day for you to hear Jesus say, welcome home. Come back. You are, you are welcome to begin again. And for some, this may be a day for you where it, this is all brand new. And you say, thank God. Thank God that my life doesn't have to be checkmate. Thank God that I can have a new beginning, a fresh start right here, right now. So I want to take just a moment and dedicate the very, very end of our time for us to each, on this Easter Sunday, pray to the Lord. Would you bow with me? Every one of us bowing our head, closing our eyes. And I want to invite you to take just a moment. And in your mind, pray a prayer. Maybe your prayer is a question. Maybe your prayer is, is a confession. Maybe your prayer is a word of gratitude. It's just you. Just you and a holy God. Take this moment and in the stillness, pray to the Lord.